Hello and welcome to another episode of the Read More Podcast, the show that brings readers and writers together. I'm your host, Marva Hinton. Today, our guest is Naomi Jackson. Her critically acclaimed debut novel is The Star Side of Bird Hill. I caught up with her at the Miami Book Fair just before she was about to sit on a panel with other debut novelists, such as Janine Capot-Crousset and Angela Flournoy. She shared lots of insights about being a first-time novelist. Check it out. The Star Side of Bird Hill is set in Barbados, where sisters 16-year-old Dion and 10-year-old Phaedra have been sent to live with their grandmother, Hyacinth, when their mother can no longer care for them in Brooklyn due to her worsening mental illness. First of all, let me say I just loved these characters. I mean, they were just so alive on the page. As you were starting to write, which one came to you first? Um, So I was writing a novel actually set in Phaedra's voice for the very, for four years, a failed novel. Um, And the novel really came alive once her older sister Dion came along. Um, So Phaedra was first, but Dion set the whole thing off. Well, I love your descriptions of the characters. I mean, this one line that I just keep going to where you say Dion is 16 going on a bitter, if beautiful, 45. Now, as a writer, how much do you think you should reveal about a character's physical appearance? Um, It's a balance because you want the reader to be able to imagine um, the character in their minds, but you want to give them clues um, to kind of give some shape to their imaginings. And so I have a sense of what these characters look like, a loose sense, Um, but more than a sense of their physical appearance, I have a sense of who they are as people. So kind of the things that make them tick, um, what will drive them crazy, what they love, and what their deepest um, struggles are. Yeah. Now you mentioned that you started out with Phaedra because actually as I was reading this, I wondered, did you consider going first person with Phaedra? Yeah. Why did you decide to change? Um, I felt that Phaedra's voice was really whiny in the first person <laughs> and um, she was really young. And so I wanted to give some some allow us to see more of the world than what she could know and see just being a 10 year old and so moving into close third person allowed me to see a little bit beyond Phaedra's limitations and it also allowed me to shift between her perspective Dion's perspective and their grandmother's perspective so I felt like um, having the close third person voice really gave me a richer um, vantage point from which to describe the novel and um, just different ways to see the island and to see their family and what was going on in their family. Well, the novel deals with so many issues of belonging and feeling like an outsider. In some ways, your characters all struggle with this. And the gay man, Gene, who uh, is a very prominent character, also feels this way. Why did you decide that was something that you wanted to tackle? I think my books are always going to be about outsiderness because I'm a loner and always feel like a weirdo. And so I think that writers write about the things that um, haunt them. And so for me, this question of belongingness is one with which I'm always struggling. And so each of the characters is struggling to belong in different ways. Even Hyacinth, who's very much a part of Bird Hill and has lived there for all of her life, feels um, some type of way about the difference between her expression of her spirituality and the kind of standard conventional Christianity in which her community is deeply steeped. So um, yeah, I'm obsessed with who belongs and who doesn't. And so it's not surprising that each one of these characters struggles with this in different ways. The effect of mental illness is 
another issue that looms over this novel. I mean, through flashbacks, we see the girl's mother, Avril, suffer from just debilitating depression. What steps did you take to make sure that you portrayed that accurately? I mean, was there a lot of research involved before you took on something so big? Um, No, I was mostly drawing on my own family's experience. And so I'd had members of my family who struggled with mental illness. And so a lot of the things that Avril struggles with are things that I'd seen before. Um, What was important to me was to portray someone who was struggling with mental illness but still had their dignity. And so what I didn't want to do was write a character who was defined solely by their illness. And I didn't want to write a character who um, was deeply involved in diagnosis. And so I wasn't like, okay, this person is paranoid schizophrenic or this person is bipolar. I think I just wanted people to know this is someone deeply in the midst of struggle. The focus on this novel is clearly on the women involved. Did you ever worry that you might face some criticism for the way you portray men? Because for the most part, the straight, men in this novel they don't come across very well yeah i mean if people have asked me that question it's kind of interesting because it's not one that i really thought about that deeply um i set out to write a novel about women in a family and then that's what happened um i do feel though that like the two boys who are um phaedra and dion's friends and love interests are actually pretty sweet and well-rounded um i think that trevor and chris chris's kind of full humanity and um, three-dimensionality makes up for some of the other things that happen in the rest of the book. Um, But I wasn't setting out to write a novel about men, and so, and I don't feel apologetic about that. Well, let's talk about the setting a little bit. I mean, Bird Hill sounds like such a beautiful place, Mm -hmm. the way you describe it in the novel. Why did you decide to set your novel in Barbados? Um, I'd grown up in Brooklyn, but my family is from the Caribbean, so my mother's family's from Barbados, my dad's Antiguan, and my stepmother's Jamaican. And so um, the experience of going back and forth between Brooklyn and the Caribbean was one that very much defined my childhood. Um, And I felt that I wanted to read a story about the Caribbean American experience um, that was actually set in the Caribbean, and so that's how I landed on that. Well, since your family does have roots there in the Caribbean, as you just mentioned, I mean, did you ever have any concerns about how you portrayed people from the islands? I mean, that someone might say, hey, we're not like that, because sometimes that seems to come about when you're writing about a group that you don't see, you know, that's not written about all the time, that that might be a concern. Yeah, Juno Diaz talks about the shock of recognition. So what happens when people who are not used to being written about suddenly get written about? And he talks about... Um, Dominicans in his case being really offended by what he wrote but also Philip Roth and his portrayal of um, Jewish American folks and what that's been like Um, I think that I've taken like some solace in the fact that so many writers have gone before me who have written about kind of small communities and have survived people's uh, criticisms of them I mean Jamaica Kincaid certainly did not win any fans with her portrayal of Antigua and she survived she lived to tell the tale um, and so my my interest in writing this book was not to um, like kind of inflate the egos of the people of, of the people I was writing about, but to tell a true story and do it well. Oh, we have to talk about your cover art. I oh, mean, yeah. when that book came and I opened up the box, I was like, oh my gosh, this is such a beautiful book. And yeah. I understand there's a really interesting story about how you came to have that as your cover. Can you just share that with yeah, us? Sure. Um, so I. 
I had gone to Barbados in the summer of 2012 to research the novel, and a good friend of mine kept telling me about this artist, Sheena Rose, and I finally met her, and she was for force of nature. I really enjoyed her work. Um, and then when I graduated from the Iowa Writers Workshop the next summer, my best friend bought me a painting of Sheena's, and it was above my desk in uh, um, Philly. This book has been written in lots of different places. It was above my desk in Philly as I was finishing the last, the final draft of the book. And um, the more I looked at it, the more I thought, oh, that would make an amazing book cover. And so I approached Sheena to see if she might be interested. And I also shared some of Sheena's work with um, my publisher. They were really excited about um, having her image on the cover of the book, which was exciting. And basically everyone told me that that was never going to happen. And so I do feel vindicated in that I was successful with that. Well, what are you working on right now? Um, I'm working on a multi-generational historical novel called Behind God's Back. Um, it's set in Brooklyn from the 1930s to the 2000s, and it's about three generations of a Caribbean family. Hopefully one day I'll not be writing about that, although I don't know. I think there's so many different ways to tell tell our stories that I don't actually see that as a limitation. Um, yeah, so I'm deeply into it and hoping to finish a first draft soon. Well, here at Read More, we like to know how your reading life has shaped you as a writer. So do you remember the first thing you read that just really touched you? I mean, just resonated with you. It felt like, you know, you've never read anything like that before. Um, I think uh, Jamaica Kincaid's Annie John had a deep imprint on on me and my psyche and my person. Um, but there's so many books that I, I, I love and I hate this question because I feel like it forces me to play favorites, whereas I read pretty broadly. Um, Polly Marshall's Brown Girl, Brown Stones was another favorite. June Jordan's Soldier. Um, Maya Angelou's I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings was really important for me when I was a young person. But then so was the autobiograph- autobiography of Malcolm X. I mean, I was 13. I didn't know um, anything about uh, being a Muslim. It sent me into a tailspin. I read the Holy Quran from cover to cover after reading the autobiography of Malcolm X. And so um, that book was extremely important to me in terms of my political awakening and consciousness, but also just um, the understanding of how deep and raw a memoir could be, because he exposes so much of himself, even though we come to know that Alex Haley had such a role in writing that book. Um, that book was really important to me as a, as a young person. Yeah. Well, conversely, are there or is there a book that you have really struggled to read like you've tried to read and you just feel like maybe maybe this wasn't written for me or it just does not resonate and I know this is a difficult one so like if you want to talk about someone who's no longer with us that's fine um there's so many books like this I think that the joy of the last few years is that I've really given myself permission to not like books and not feel committed to finishing them unless I think that pushing through is going to teach me something really important that I want to know or if I don't want to know it I think I should know um so I um, really, I've never read Moby, Moby Dick, um, and I'm not sure when and how I will, but that's not really so much like that I've tried so hard to read it and couldn't. It's just that despite all the hype around it, I haven't actually dug in. Although now I'm remembering there was this huge marathon of reading of Moby Dick, and I'm like, oh, what's wrong with me? Maybe there's something there. Um, I'll never say never on a book, Um, But there are certainly some that I struggle with. Yeah. Is there a writer that you think just does not get the attention that he or she deserves, either from the media or from readers, someone who's doing really good work, but it seems like they're just not getting the attention? 
Um, I think that um, I would love if 2016 saw as more of a celebration of Paul Marshall's work. I mean, she was such an essential writer and has such an incredible um, kind of body of work that I would love to see more more richly celebrated. I think she's both well known and I worry that like today's generation that's coming up isn't fed on the food of her her work. Yeah. Well, what are you reading right now? I'm reading Hanya Yanagihara's A Little Life, which is devastating me moment by moment. It's about 720 pages and I'm like 500 pages in and I can't put it down. So, yeah, I'm really into that book right now and just one more question because you have seen i think you know so much success with your debut novel is this what you expected because it's kind of what all you know people who are you know studying writing they dream about they have that first novel and it's very well received and people are talking about it Mm -hmm. so has this been you know what you thought it would be or not at all I thought that four people would would read this book including my mom like I really did not think that people would be into this book I thought it was a hard sell you know to black girls from Brooklyn going to Barbados from the summer in the late late 80s it did not sound like an immediate um fit for a lot of readers but it was less important to me that um it be received in this way than that I finished the book that was my number one priority and I kind of I was completely taken aback by the reception of the novel pleasantly surprised and you mentioned that you know you weren't sure about you know how that would that your idea how it would come across Mm -hmm. We hear so much about that, you know, writers of color in particular have trouble sometimes with, you know, publishers not thinking their stories are universal. Mm-hmm. Was that a concern with you? And how did you, if it was a concern, how did you overcome that? Um, I mean, I just kept talking to more people. So I met quite a few editors and agents who really did not think that this book was saleable um, and who were more interested in my second book that I'm working on right now because it felt more mainstream and and like an easier sell. Um, And I just didn't, I didn't buy that. I knew that there would be someone who would be interested in the book one day. And so I just kept talking to more people until I found somebody who was interested. Yeah. Is there any advice that you would have for someone who's maybe in your situation, who's a young writer and they're worried about, well, is my story going to be considered, you know, universal enough to, to sell? What would you tell them to do? I would say focus on the writing. I mean, um, everything good comes out of paying attention to your craft and writing the best and most beautiful book that you can. Um, and I don't think much good comes out of worrying about what the market's going to do and who's going to love you and who's going to love your book. I think that the real important work and really the only thing we have control over is our own writing. Naomi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for um, interviewing me. Thank you for interviewing me in the company of such incredible writers. It's an honor. Go to our website, readmorepodcast.com, to find out how you can win a free signed copy of Naomi's The Star Side of Bird Hill. And join us again in two weeks when our guest will be Janine Capot-Cousset. Until then, I'm Marva Hinton, reminding you to read more.